as always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyperfocus Podcasts. Welcome everyone to another nail-biting yet fully informed episode of Kenyatta and Jack save the world. We are so glad you are with us. And by we, I mean me and my ever faithful co-host, Jack. Hello, Jack. Hello, Kenyatta. How are you this fine Thursday evening? I am doing swell. I'm... And, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Mm-mm. I need to, I need to actually pay attention to visual cues now that I have them. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I say Thursday because we are switching up schedules. We used to record our new episodes on Tuesdays and release them the following week on Thursdays. But in an effort to give more timely context to our topics, we decided to switch our recording to Thursday so that we would have a fresh episode out for you guys within the next four days. Four days? Five yep. days. We'll start releasing on Tuesdays. So, yes, you should be hearing this episode on Tuesday, the 17th of May. So from here on out, our new episodes will be dropping on Tuesday. So keep it in mind and stay tuned. Hooray! Yay! Yes, that way we're not, you know, 10 days behind on the news cycle when we're complaining. It's literally 24 hours is too late in some cases, but yeah, we're tightening it, we're tightening it up as best we can, so... Bear with us. We will keep bringing these fantastic examinations of the world around us to you as often as ever. We sure will. Indeed, indeed. So before we get into it, how, how have you been? What's, what's, what's going on? What's, what's I happened? have been, you know, I've been doing all right. Uh, kids were here from, Col- uh, from Colorado last week for a few days. My niece was getting hitched and... They came for that, and that was nice seeing the chill, the chillins, Duncan. Chillins, yeah, yes. Uh, it was definitely nice, you know, to have them here for for a few days, and then uh, they promptly flew back to uh, Colorado. It was cool for Emily; she's never flown before, so this was her first time getting to fly. Oh wow! Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But. Uh, with Emily's recent health issues, a 10-hour car drive is just more than she can physically handle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, while being in an airport and doing all of that crap isn't fun, she's at least, you know, not being in a car. And it cut the whole thing down to about 
you know, total time, like four and a half hours. So true. Well, that's good. That is good. I'm glad. I'm glad you got to spend time with the family because that is the most important. Whew. Yeah. Yep. 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 So that was fun. Yeah. It was a nice wedding. It was a very lovely ceremony. A very lovely wedding facility place here in the Oklahoma City metro area. So I saw the pictures on you guys' social. It did yeah. look like fun. Did I understand that the menu for the reception involved ribs? Did I see that? It did involve ribs. Were they delicious ribs? They were because it was catered from a guy that is uh, his barbecue place. He is a world champion, grandmaster champion in barbecue competitions. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and book my trip back home <laughs> sometime very soon because apparently I'm missing a lot of things back in OKC. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. it was quite good. Right. Okay, good to hear. Good to hear. I myself uh, this week have been enjoying a much needed week of vacation from the the thing I do that pays me money, i.e. job. Um, and I was just relaying to Jack offline that this is probably the first vacation I've had where I wasn't going somewhere or had something else planned. It was just an absolutely do nothing, lay about staycation, and I have been enjoying it thoroughly. Sometimes hmm. those are the best. This one is turning out to be much more needed than I thought it would be. So That's definitely awesome. enjoyable. Yes, indeed. Recharge yes, your indeed. batteries, you know, so that you have all the energy you need to be mad at the current goings on of the world, right? You don't want to be angry with an empty power bank. That's correct. And I help <laughs> I help recharge that as well by going to see the latest offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh this past Sunday, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I was thoroughly impressed. I will offer no spoilers except to say that if you are a fan of the MCU, please go see it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Go see it. It is going to remind you, if you know who directed it, it is going to remind you of that director's previous work. So it was an enjoyable right. ride. It's awesome. Heather and I are going to try to go see it, I think, next Monday. Yeah. No, we, not next Monday, next Tuesday. I, I'm recording something for my other podcast on Monday. but mm -hmm. So next Tuesday. Yeah, I think y'all enjoy it. Definitely so. so. And like I said, there's a couple moments in there. I got geeked and my daughter's sitting right next to me and I was whacking her like, look at that, look at that. Did you see it? Did you see it? So that was me. So That's I, awesome. think he, I think you might have those reactions as well. <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. To the next thing. Yeah. Let's, let's move on to our WTFs and it's my week to go first. I'm sorry, before you say that, I have to apologize. I was so harsh with that. That was not a smooth transition oh. at all. So <laughs> Some, sometimes transitions aren't aren't always smooth. We're still new at this, so we're gonna have the occasional rough transition. We'll chalk it up to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But if but if it happens this time next year, then we will have to talk. Yeah, there'll yeah. be hell to pay. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. There were sort of several things that I was considering for my WTF. And then I decided that I was going to go with one of the sort of biggest sort of scientific things that we've had in a long while. 
and today they released the first ever picture slash evidence confirming the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Mm. It was a project that took multiple, multiple years. They had telescopes stationed throughout different locations on the Earth because it gives you the effect of having an Earth-sized telescope. Mm-hmm. Because you need one that big to see something that far away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dark. <laughs> and dark. <laughs> so it took something like four or five years for the computers to process the image to get it, you know, all combined and everything. And it's really cool. It answered a lot of questions about our central uh, supermassive black hole. If you haven't seen it, you should look it up, even though it's just a black dot with some orangish red around it. (laughs) But it's still impressive that something they theorized about, we now have actual pictures of, and they've discovered that unlike some black holes, it's not currently eating any other stars or gas, and it's rotating kind of slowly. But it's pretty cool to think that We've come to a point now where something that 50 years ago was a theoretical thing and we were able to, you know, get a picture of it. (laughs) And it still took a lot of, you know, our technological know-how to make it happen. So Most definitely. And that, you're right. It's it's saying a lot how technology in, in all facets have made leaps and bounds during the last half, last past half century. Yeah. So... Just to add on to that, is that, oh, I take it that is not the same black hole that I read about the other day. Well, that it's actually the second one. The other one is from a different galaxy called, I think it's M87. Okay. And even though M87 is something like, I don't know, 50 times as far away from us as our black hole is, because our black hole's at the center of our galaxy and there's massive amounts of dust, it actually made it harder to image that one than it did the black hole in a different <laughs> galaxy that's further away. Well, the one I'm, I read about, and I sent you a link on I don't know if you got to look at it. They had It was an actual audio recording oh! of a black hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are, that's also cool. Astronomy's so cool. You listen yeah, to it? I, yeah. Yeah, that, that was so cool. That's like the most awesome. That is like the perfect background noise for the next big sci-fi horror movie. That's what right. that is. Because I got halfway through it, I was like, "Ew, what? Ew." <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe next time Michael Myers could go to space instead of Jason, and they could play it there. I, it has to be bigger than that, though. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking like. Aliens level sci-fi horror. I need that going on. I need that to be the not the soundtrack, but like the underlying score for right. the whole movie, and just crank up the frequency just so it makes you break out in goosebumps and people want to get up and leave, and but they can't. Something like that. <laughs> yes, that would that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh, I did too much. Somebody's gonna. Somebody's already thinking about it as we speak. Probably. Probably. Mm. So mine is short, but it's just something that sort of blows my mind when, you know, something amazing like that from the scientific world happens. So yeah, it should. It should. It just reinforces there's just so much more. For everything that we find, there's just that much more we haven't found yet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's a big deal. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, really it shows that the grand scheme of things, our planet is small and that we're small, so you should love everybody on this planet because we're all a small part of life, the only place we know where there's life. We're just specks. We're just specks. Yep. Compared to the great majesty of everything, we're just specks. Yep. <sighs> Boy. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, what's your WTF? Well, not so, not so quite um, enthusiastic, I'm afraid. But it's still, it was, it, it was at a certain point inevitable, but it's still disconcerting. So, President Biden uh, just had a press conference stating the U.S. death toll from COVID nineteen has just surpassed one million. Hmm. Yeah, pretty much all of them past 50,000 didn't have to happen. Yeah. So here we are, one of the most industrialized and supposedly progressive nations in the world. And we have accounted for 16% of the world COVID deaths, while only being roughly four and a quarter percent of the total world population. That tracks. States with the most deaths reported, California with more than 90,000. Texas with 86,000, Florida with 76,000, and there's estimated 9 million people whose families have been affected by losing someone mm-hmm. to the virus. Yep. Yeah. It's it's sobering and it's it still drives me crazy. We're 2 years, we're 2 plus years into this and people are still hard-headed. And foolish enough to believe that it was all just a big joke or it was blown out of proportion. Yes. And, (sighs) you know, my favorite is, is all of these uh, sort of kooks or whatever. And you'll hear him say something like, well, it's the vaccinated's fault that it's mutated because it had to mutate to get past the vaccine. It's not how it works, dumbass. If everyone was vaccinated, guess what? No one would be getting it. Or if you did, your body would take care of it easier and it wouldn't be able to mutate. And Hmm. now they're talking that next fall there could be three variants of Omicron. Just that particular strand, three new variants. That's not including, you know, Delta or the original. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. It just just, blows my mind. In yeah. in in a completely opposite way than yours your news did, unfortunately. It blows my mind. And and I'm sure there are think tanks of people far smarter than me that have amassed thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of sheer data for everything that's happened in the course of this pandemic, and they're trying to sit there and figure out what went wrong. And they'll probably never figure they'll never, they won't, there won't be no one conclusive answer, obviously. But then you can find 72 reasons and no one group of people will settle on 30 of them in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it's so much. It's so much that went sideways. We, so were, we were put in a tsunami of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that, so many people like were swept into that, that logical thinking was just shot out the window. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. And, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not here to say that I'm the smartest potato in the patch, but damn it, my parents were good enough to, to teach me the, to teach me the, um, 
the necessity of common sense. And for what they didn't or maybe couldn't, I learned on my own, oftentimes the hard way, but I learned. And it just amazes me how some of these folks even got through life, even got through to a certain point in their lives with the thought processes that they do. And nobody would know what they were thinking if they kept their mouth shut. But no, they pop up on social media. They pop up on, you know, the man on the street interviews on the news. And they're spouting yep. all this nonsense. And it's like, where did you come from? Where, for the most part, you have access to a lot of the same information as everybody else. So how did you come to this opinion and someone else came to this one? Right. And, you know, when you believe that it's some sort of worldwide global plot, first of all, if you want to kill a large portion of the population, there are ways to do it that are so much easier. Yep. Seriously. If you want to take out, say, a large portion of America, or if you want to, because, um, you know, part of it is, though, while well, they're trying to get rid of, you know, constitution-loving Americans or people that love the 2A, the Second Amendment, there's an easier way to do it. You know what that would be? It's called poisoning Miller Lite <laughs> or Budweiser or Bud Light. You know what I mean? Coors, whatever. Steel That's reserve. all you got to do is take three or four, you know, beer plants, factories, whatever you call them. I don't know. And just slap some poison in a bunch of that crap. And the way beer's drunk in this country, you could knock out a large portion of the population over the 4th of July weekend or Memorial Day. Or right between Memorial Day and Labor Day, right there in that, you know, that three-month window. Mm -hmm. You could kill easily, easily 10 million people on a weekend, on a, you know, a four-day weekend, if you just poison the beer. So there are much easier ways to do it than to create a fake virus so that then you can create the vaccine for it to kill people and have it take a couple of years. If you're going to yeah. kill, you know. Again, this is where that lack of logic has played such a prominent part in all this. They just refuse to believe what nine out of ten doctors are telling them. They want to believe the tenth guy. Yeah, they, they'll all go to the dentist that tells you don't floss. Yeah, don't floss and eat as much sugar as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And brush your teeth once a week. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, then you have people like, say, Alex Jones that and others, not just him, but they've been basically saying since last March when the vaccine rollout first happened that this vaccine is designed to change your DNA and one year and one year in people are going to start dying from this vaccine. Right. Well, it's been over a year. And then if you think about it, the first people in the rollout that all got the vaccine were over 60, right? And I find most, my, my people are fine, you know? Yeah. Most um, most people over 60 are homeowners. So if they would just start dying from this vaccine, the housing market would crash because now there would be a bunch of available homes for sale. And we could just, you know, it would fix the housing market because you know houses are selling so fast it would be a glut on the market i see how strongly you believe in that because you mentioned that very thing <laughs> last episode yeah. and it's ac it's accurate I'm not gonna lie it, it's it's an unfortunate yet accurate fact but you know in my case all my people you know my mom my dad my stepmom they're all fine they're good i'm good all the people yeah. i know my age good I, had, I do know some uh -huh. people, 
my age, uh, some people, my daughter's Andrains, they have caught it, very mild symptoms. They're fine. Yeah. So we're good. Most of the people I know are good. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I am too. And But the thing of it is, is that without the steps, no matter how belated they were, without the steps that were put in place to try to prevent or minimize the spread, the death toll would have been a lot larger. Oh, yeah. And like you said a minute ago, it didn't have to be half as high as it is. Yep. But that's what we're looking at now. So that, that you know, hearing that news, it was inevitable. But hearing that news, it still, it still gave me pause. So Yeah. I joke about the housing thing because the wife and I are looking to to be doing the home buying thing in a couple months. And the market right now just sucks. <laughs> it, it's not good for houses or cars because I'm looking, you know, for a car within the next year or so. And I'm like, hey, guys, the lots are kind of empty. What What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah. A house will get listed on Zillow and 20 minutes later an offer's put in on it. And it's just like, holy shnikes. Yeah. So it's bananas out there, but all you people whose DNA is currently unravel, if you could speed this up, <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you four months. <sighs> Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I would feel horrible if that actually started happening. <laughs> the fact that it hasn't is 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 demonstrative of the fact that you know it was all a bunch of bunk to begin with, but still. Yeah. Yep, 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 but for still. sure. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we uh are moving on. Uh, I have to tell you, today, uh, Kenyatta texted me and said, hey, how would you feel if I talked about this? It was, to be honest with you, a topic I was not expecting. That doesn't mean that I don't like the topic or anything <laughs> like that. I was actually kind of intrigued by what she wanted to talk about when I saw that, because it was so unexpected. And then I thought, oh, she had to figure out something interesting if she wanted to talk about it. So I am I am looking forward to learning me some new things. I hope you are. And listening, friends, I hope you enjoy it, too. And to be honest, I can't tell you, it may have been something that ca caught me subconsciously that all of a sudden I decided, hey, Let's talk about this this week. I don't know. But I, I did some research into it, and it called back some fond memories because this this particular uh, phenomenon was sprung when I when, when me and Jack were young were youngins. So it's something that we're familiar yeah. with. Yeah, back in the back in the early aughts when yes. we were children. Yes. Um, today, that phenomenon is infomercials. Hmm. Yeah, see what I'm talking about, listening audience? <laughs> I bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? Picture it. The early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. You catch yourself sitting up late one night, flipping channels, and you stop at what you think is an interesting-looking commercial with Mr. Chuck Norris, demonstrating and introducing you to the latest at-home exercise machine craze, the Total Gym. You're like, this looks interesting. So you sit for, you know, 30 seconds, a minute, maybe two. And you're thinking, okay, I wonder what show is coming back on after the commercial break. Then after about five minutes, you realize, this ain't no commercial break. Ten minutes. Hey. But you don't turn the channel. Because Mr. Chuck Norris demands your attention. And then Christy Brinkley shows up. But that's another story. And what she, you too, demands your attention. 
She well, was wearing a leotard. That's on you. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> what you are witnessing is what's called an infomercial. And according to, according to Merriam-Webster, an infomercial is, quote, a television program that is an extended advertisement, often including a discussion or demonstration. It is part of a larger subgenre or sub area of television known as direct response television. A more nuanced definition of an infomercial is a long form video or television advertisement that acts as a standalone program to pitch a good or service with a call to action. Infomercials are different from regular commercials because they last longer and have no breaks in the program where your average commercial can run from 30 seconds, well, 20 seconds, 30, 45, up 10 minutes sometimes. Your average infomercial at minimum is usually 30 minutes and they can run as long as an hour. Now, the trick is, is that, and if you're, again, if you're familiar with them, you will, you'll, you'll recognize or you'll remember that you often saw infomercials at certain times during the day, specifically late at night after regular programming went off the air, early mornings or on the weekends. And infomercials actually started taking the place of Saturday morning cartoons at a certain point. Now, infomercials are an interesting thing because you would think something that's a half hour long to a half hour long would cost more to produce than let's say your 30 second commercial, but no. Between the lower cost of purchasing airtime in the early morning slots, production of an infomercial is lower as well. On average, your 30-minute infomercial can cost anywhere between $25,000 and $250,000, whereas a 30-second primetime or national commercial can cost anywhere around $350,000. So Mm -hmm. thing about infomercials though is that what you're basically looking at is here's a product here's what it does here's why you need it here's where to get it boom so that's pretty much the the concept as far as the the basic outline for uh developing infomercials give your viewer an existing problem or invent one you're telling them about something they didn't know they had an issue with until you told them and then you say Oh, for instance, (laughs) let's say the total gym. You want to get back in shape. Let's say you're watching an infomercial in the beginning of January. We've just gone through the holidays. You know how people get together and they eat. They put on a few pounds. Here's your problem. How do I get rid of this holiday 15? For six easy payments. Indeed. Next up, provide a solution. You can go to the gym. However, the next part of your infomercial should explain how that solution may be difficult or undesirable. Going to the gym means you have to get in the car, go to the gym, buy a membership, maybe a trainer, work off in front of who knows how many people, yada, yada, yada. This is how our total gym can make it easier for you. And not only do you show them how your product works better for them, you make them a special offer that makes it, makes it that much more better of a deal. Buy now and get $200 worth of accessories free. If you order within the next 30 minutes, so on, so forth. Or like Jack said, six easy payments to $29.95 plus shipping and handling. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> then they throw the buzz phrases in. Call now. Operators are waiting. 
limited time offer, money back guarantee. And I want to say, if I remember right, it was a running gag in, was it Married with Children? That Peg Bundy used to watch the late night shopping network infomercials and would just buy things just at random that made no sense. I think so. I think it was that show. That just that just tickled me. It reminded me of that when I was researching this. But please let me let me interrupt real quick. Please mm-hmm. tell me that you're going to discuss the the Godfather of infomercials. Rob say, no uh, say no more. Say no more. Ron Perlman. <laughs> I will get there. Oh, be, thank goodness. Be patient, Grasshopper. Okay. So the term infomercial was first used in 1981, but many people acknowledge that the first so-called infomercial, quote unquote, was actually aired in 1949 by the Vitamix Corporation with founder William G. Barnard pitching his new blender which he explained was one of the, quote, one of the most wonderful machines that was ever invented. Now, considering that we're talking about commercials first popping up that early after the advent of television, you would think all those years you would have been bombarded by advertising. But no, the FCC heavily regulated how much commercial programming could occur during at any point during a television broadcast day. Limiting, they, the FCC actually limited commercial programming to 12 minutes per every hour broadcast television. Now we know why we have 48-minute TV shows. Correct. In 1984, now keep in mind this is the 80s, and I will get to a little more detail about why that matters. But 1984, Reagan was comfortably in his first term, and his administration was about cutting taxes and uh, giving limiting government involvement in things. So one of his administration's tasks was to lift the FCC regulations and allow what he referred to as a free market approach, which would limit interference in how corporations were run, including how much and how often they could advertise their products. So the Reagan's administration platform also gave birth to the term trickle-down economics that with the tax cut that Reagan promised folks, they would have more spendable money. They would spend that money for goods and services, and that would cause economic growth. If you paid attention Mm -hmm. at any point during politics in the last 40 years, you'll know how that worked out. However, in 84, The Cable Communications Policy Act was passed, and that allowed companies far more opportunities to have more airtime to sell their products on broadcast TV. So during that time, around that time, not too long after this act passed, cable TV was also seeing its expansion into allowing more broadcast time across uh, the course of 24 hours. So here comes late night television, which at the very beginning was populated a lot by religious programming, but because those organizations and other organizations that sought to broadcast their shows late night had trouble um, keeping afloat and finding funding, a lot of that airspace was left open and other companies seeking to um, seeking opportunities to advertise came in and suit that, that airtime on mm-hmm. the cheap. 
So certain companies, especially startup companies that had, say, the best new thing, they would buy up airtime, 30, 30 minute, maybe an hour if they could afford it. They would buy it relatively cheap airtime late night. And usually, again, it was after the end of the broadcast day, which for a lot of places was either 12 midnight or 1 a.m. And they would throw an infomercial for the most random things. So this gave this gave um, birth to the boom, basically, of infomercials. And that's what you saw, 30 minutes to an hour, advertising every and anything you didn't know you wanted until just now. Consider the fact that the 80s were known as the decade of consumerism and materialism, which led people to believe, I need more stuff. I need it right now. Shopping from the living room was a no-brainer. So as I mentioned, infomercials began with smaller companies who could afford that lower cost late night airtime to pitch uh-huh. their new and wondrous product. Right. And that extended time frame, like I said, having 30 minutes to an hour to be able to show off and demonstrate this product means they had every opportunity to, again, follow the formula that I mentioned earlier. This is our product. This is why you need it. This is why it's going to make your life ever so more convenient and easier. This is why you should get it from us. And then, of course, they had to have at least seven to ten minutes of paid actors acting as regular people testifying to how well it worked for them. And it didn't matter what it was. It could be skincare products, exercise programs, kitchen appliances, real estate planning, weight loss and vitamin pills, life insurance, everything and the kitchen sink were sold on infomercials. Rotisserie ovens. Patience grasshopper. (laughs) You know, I I have one now. My air fryer is an air fryer rotisserie uh, convection oven type thing and... Mm -hmm. Had the rotisserie oven not had late night commercials in the 1980s and 90s, I may not have this wonderful piece of technology that I currently have. See, and that's the legacy of infomercials. It truly is. And some, and they often get a bad reputation, rightfully so, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, because what they're selling you is more often than not a cheap knockoff of something else better made and more reliable. Right. So I said they 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 ended up being the butt of many jokes as years went on, um, but they did leave a legacy, and the people investing in the in the infomercial game made some serious money. So as of 1991, when it was hitting mm, its earliest part of its peak, the industry saw sales of more than 750 million dollars. Today. Estimates are roughly probably around 250 to 300 billion. So the infomercial crazy. The infomercial industry is still hot stuff, and it gave birth to those um, shopping networks such as HSN Home Shopping Network, QVC, which are basically 24-hour mini infomercials. Again, hawking everything you can possibly imagine. For instance. George Foreman's grilling machine. Here's something I didn't know until our research. Apparently, George Foreman says he made about $200 million from sales of that grill, but he initially did not want to be involved with it. But the company behind the grill that that invented the grill and made the deal with Foreman to have his name plastered on it was called Stoughton 
Salton Incorporated, and they ended up buying out the perpetual rights to his name for this product, and he continues to get paid in royalties, which is often how these companies set up celebrity endorsements. If they could negotiate not so much on the front half, but promise a certain amount of royalties for every sale, then those celebrities were all too enthusiastic about getting involved and slapping their name on practically everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. So other celebrities that got involved with the infomercial craze over the years, uh, the aforementioned Christy Brinkley, Alyssa Milano of Who's the Boss fame, our beloved Alex Trebek, may he rest in peace, Suzanne Summers. Hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And countless others. And when I say countless others, I mean countless others. And I will make sure that we get show notes up there that have some links that, um, that talk about the infomercials of old because some of them are absolutely hilarious. Awesome. And they were and they were also some of the best selling products in infomercial history. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of infomercial history, though, as Jack was so impatiently awaiting the godfather of infomercials, Ron Popeil, founder of Ronco, recently passed away some years, not too long ago. He is considered, I would just call him the guru, basically, of infomercials. His company produced a virtual plethora of, again, every product you didn't know you needed until just then. Yep. His first big product was called the Chop-O-Matic, which was basically a bunch of blades that could chop stuff faster than one knife would. That's it. Yep. It was huge. And remarketed as the Slap Chop later on. Correct. With that Beavis looking dude. That did the infomercial. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Ronco also put out Mr. Microphone, which was marketed as the first karaoke machine. The Pocket Fisherman, which I have only witnessed the act of fishing once in my lifetime. From catch to kill to skin and gut and all that stuff one time. Yet I, to this day, have a a fascination with the Pocket Fisherman. I don't know (laughs) why. Other products fits in your pocket. (laughs) That's it. I mean, really. (laughs) Other products on the Ronco lineup include GLH9, which stands for Good Looking Hair Formula Number Nine. Oh, the the spray hair. Is Mm. that it? The spray hair. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, Something different. If you believe that. (laughs) Oh. The smokeless ashtray. Inside the egg scrambler, I remember that one. That was oh, so strange to me. Yeah, the electric food dehydrator hey, and hey, I, I have the Ronco food electric food dehydrator. There's nothing wrong with that. That is like a perfect invention. I don't see the problem. It it worked at all. It worked. Now it dehydrates food when you're making jerky. Mm-hmm. It is slow as hell. It's like a four day process with that thing. Wow. Now my my Bass Pro dehydrator, it's like I can set it when I go to bed and when I wake up, it's dehydrated. See? Do you see how everything evolves? You just have to have a seed to plant. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And what you mentioned earlier, the Showtime rotisserie and barbecue. And yeah. I would never forget, I think everybody probably our age that spent any time with their face in the TV remembers that infomercial. And set it. And yep. forget it. <laughs> yep. Set it and forget it. 
Which... And they'd, they'd start at, like, the right end of the camera and be like, we're going to stick a turkey in. We're going to stick a chicken in. And then they'd work their way down. And then by the time he got down, he'd be like, and now we're going to go back to the front. And we're going to try this ro- this chicken that we just mm-hmm. rotisseried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was just guys in the back bringing in stuff that had already cooked up. But see, we didn't know. We didn't need to know how the magic happened. We only know that it did. Yep. <laughs> yep. And- yep. Incident, interestingly enough, the Showtime history, as of 2018, has had $1 billion in lifetime sales. That is impressive. Now, because Ron Popeil and his company, Ronco, was the source of so many inventive, not always successful, but inventive products, mm-hmm. he and his company were spoofed often in pop culture. Yes. And you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, on his time on Saturday Night Live, spoofed him with a infomercial of the fictional Bassomatic. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That was so amazing. <laughs> I remember that. That's so messy. <laughs> it was that voice Aykroyd had during that whole skit. He was he was dead serious. He was about business. It was absolutely hilarious. But it it caught it caught the whole fever pitch behind infomercial phenomena. So it was absolutely perfect for the time. I remember that very much, very much. Early on, though, when infomercials first started, their intent was basically, again, to show people this new product and to get them to take direct action, a call to action, which would consist of call this 800 number, uh, mail your check or money order, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth. And incidentally... Um, some years ago, I had a job with a third-party company that took those toll-free number calls for those things sold on TV. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're an insider. Mm-hmm. Our, our particular location took calls for uh, Billy Blanks, Tybo. Mm-hmm. Took calls for um, uh, Miss Cleo's. Psychic, psychic network. <laughs> yeah, it's still shocking that she didn't see the bankruptcy declaration she was going to have to make. Isn't that something? <laughs> Isn't that weird? It is. When I tell you that our one center, and I think there was like two two parts of the center, and that that particular center, that part of the center was considered the main draw. I want to say that it was upwards of three hundred ish people working continuously on a regular basis taking calls there and when i say they took calls for everything i mean everything listening friends if you are not familiar with the phenomenon infomercials never fear i will definitely include some links where you can sample some of these infomercials where you can be astounded and confused by the sheer diversity of product and the really really bad acting but they're cheap to watch I mean, I make it sound bad, but they're cheap to rush. They really are. They really are. So, like I said, when they first started out in the 80s and into the 90s, they were meant to show you this is the new thing. And then, in turn, get you to call or send in your money or even oftentimes start a subscription service because Time Life had a pretty successful subscription service for music and books. Yep. I, bought, I bought a couple of books from one of the Time Life series. So, and it was, it was good quality stuff. I'll give it to them. Some companies had good stuff, some not so much, but 
But as time progressed and we got into, you know, the early 2000s, infomercials started to evolve some and became something more like test runs to see how sellable a certain product was. So basically, the presenters would spend a half hour telling you about um, the pet egg, which I bought. It works pretty good. They would spend a half hour telling you about the pet egg, tell you to go buy it, and then you go to Walmart the next week, and there it is. You're like, I'm convinced after I saw that woman with those absolutely horribly callous feet that this will work for me, and you buy it. That is, that is what infomercials are more geared to now, to see whether right. or not a company can sell something or not. And depending on the return, i.e. how many people went out in a certain amount of time and bought this product, then it was pretty much like market research. Do we continue with this product or do you take it off the market? So as it were, even though me personally, I don't see very much of them anymore just because I don't have cable, but I know they still exist. And as I mentioned earlier, they still do make the companies that still involved in this make a tidy profit because a lot of those products you can see on the shelves in your store with the label that says, as seen on TV. That's their thing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just realized that this entire time I've just none of our listening friends can see this, but I've just been shaking my head in agreement up and down this entire time. <laughs> Kenyatta has been talking and then I'm like, I've been quiet for a really long time. This is going to make editing nice. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But, and it's, yeah. Now, for, and this, I can attest to some of these because I haven't bought very many things from infomercials, but like I said, I, I bought the pet egg which turned out to be a pretty good product there for what it was worth. But some of mm -hmm. the success stories um, info, the infomercial world has offered includes the Nutrisystem program, which as of 2017 marked $697 million in sales. The Snuggie. Yeah, yeah. That cozy little wrap-up tortilla blanket, $500 million in sales as of 2013. Yeah, there was a Christmas where Heather, Misty, and Emily got, got a Snuggie for Christmas. Uh-huh, and I got one for my stepmother some Christmases ago. Um, Proactive, the skincare line, $1 billion in sales as of 2015. Wow. My beloved pet egg, $450 million as of 2013. My pillow, <laughs> $300 million per year. And I can't say exactly up to what year that information is reporting because that guy is persona non grata. Moving on. Uh, the yeah. aforementioned total gym, $1.2 billion in sales Burn. to date. And the Chia Pet, 15 million planters sold to date. I, I believe that. We have a Bob Ross Chia Pet. I love it. And... I was a little disappointed because it didn't grow in quite like we were expecting it to. It was mm -hmm. sort of like a thinning hair Bob Ross. Mm. Like badly thinning, not the way thinning hair normally. It was patchy and it, it didn't show the gloriousness that the commercial showed. Yeah, that's unfortunate because even though Bob Ross did not want to perm his hair, he took good care of that fro. He really did. He did. That was his trademark. To be honest, he is a cultural icon. May he rest in peace. Yep. But yep. For every infomercial, infomercial success, we also have, quote unquote, bad ones. And again, 
The term bad is subjective in these cases because some of these same products that were deemed bad or their infomercials were considered bad also were some of the top selling products for their time, which included the shake weight. Do you remember the shake weight? I I got a shake weight for a dirty (laughs) Santa gift one year. (laughs) And... I never took it out of the packaging. And then two years later at the same group of people for Dirty Santa, I re-Dirty Santa'd it. Indeed. And that so. was that was the appropriate action as, as far as I'm concerned. Because, again, I'll leave a link for listening friends to view that commercial. When you see it, you'll understand why it really was just, uh, in principle, it was just an offense. It really was. (laughs) It really was. Yeah. yeah. Other products that were routinely bad mouth, I guess you say, include Ginsu knives, which demonstrated on the infomercials look pretty handy. From what I've read, though, they didn't last but so long. So, of course, the aforementioned Miss Cleo's Psychic Network. Yeah. As also mentioned earlier by Jack, the Slap Chop. Presented by one Vince Shalomi, who also yeah. presented the ShamWow. Yes, Vince. Vince. That guy. <laughs> yeah, and he was a strange looking. He almost looked like a living caricature of Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. Almost. And he had that headphone with the, with the microphone on it. And he was dead serious about his yeah. job. Dead serious. Now, here's a little product I have never heard of until I researched this particular topic. It's called Doc Bottom Doc Bottoms A Spray, an all-over body deodorant. And I have included a link that has the infomercial link inside it, which includes when they're defining certain areas of the body that can have be odorous, includes beastly butt odor while showing an image of a plumber's anal cleavage. And at the end, with the so-called, quote, quote, real-life testimonials, a working man named Bob claims he has, quote, odors in special places. I had to stop for a few minutes to laugh at that. And allegedly, allegedly, the network that that infomercial aired claimed it didn't air but once. The company that made it, uh, uh, disagrees with that either way i feel i feel more important now that i have viewed that infomercial so guys that has to be life-changing it was it was it was one of the worst shot infomercials i've ever seen but it made me laugh out you know when when you logged on to zoom i thought you know kenyatta has a glow about her (laughs) i wonder what it could be and now i know i know what it is you watch that previous and the glow just hasn't left you yet Odors in special places. That's, you know, when you need taint to get deodorant. <laughs> I imagine it could be used for that as well. I imagine it would be. But what I also remember, and this is relatively recent, I say relatively probably within the last six, eight years or so. Uh-huh. Squatty potty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With the, with the unicorn that poops rainbows and glitter. Okay. Yeah, you can laugh at the squatty potty. Two of my three children swear by it. 
I have, I, no, you're right. The infomercial is hilarious. Squatty potty and poop, poopery. But I hear they are worth the money. I hear they work. Yeah. I hear they work. Yeah, my, I, my kids swear by it. This is one of those things that you didn't know you needed. It's something we probably think about without wanting to think about it. And then when something comes along that can address it, it's like, oh, I do need it. And then you find out it works. It actually works. And now you can't live without it. Yeah. That yeah. is that is a successful example of how infomercial worked well. You had an eye-catching presentation and you had a product that worked. And you address a need that most people weren't even thinking about until they saw it. That is a success story. As cheesy as the infomercial was, that worked. Yeah. That worked. <clears throat> it really did. So when I was researching it, um, and I I I kind of I came back um after I did my initial research strictly on the infomercials, and I went back and took a look a little bit into um the 80s being the age of consumerism and materialism. Mm -hmm. And I believe definitely yeah. that that era had a lot to do with how the infomercial phenomena surged like it did. People having to have the latest thing right now and have the better, have a better thing than, you know, Joe down the street or have the newest thing or more of a certain thing, so on and so forth. I think that was just indicative of that particular era, which we grew up in, but we were dependents, you know, we were out, yeah. we were out, we, we, did, we weren't worried about stuff like that so much. I well, mean, we, no. We, we wanted stuff, but it was, you know, toys or games or maybe the latest shoes or something like a that. A phone in your um, room. A phone in your, yeah, or a TV in your room or something. Stuff like that. So. Yeah, I had a, a friend when we lived on Tinker and um, we were so excited when he got his little, I don't even think it was a 13 inch black and white TV. I think it was a 10 in his room and we were like this is awesome yeah <laughs> and then his stepdad gave him his generation one vcr oh. i'm talking like when they first came out in like 1977 you know it was a top loading vcr oh yeah and about one week into us having it watching movies on a 10 inch black and white tv Whatever the part that read sound was messed up. So every movie we watched on that VCR, everyone sounded like a chipmunk. <laughs> yep. But we oh did not God. care. We didn't. Because that, that was the thrill of it, to have something, the newest thing. And like you were the only per, the only one out of your friends to have the newest thing and now you're popular. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's, it was still kind of works the same way today. Honestly, if you get the newest thing, then you're the most popular or most noteworthy person in your little group until somebody gets something better. Yeah. And that's, that's indicative. Unfortunately, it's just the society we live in. There's not too much to do about that, but considering the time frame that we're talking about from which influencers originated, it was interesting to read up a little about the age of consumerism and things in addressing excessive consumerism and how you can avoid the pitfalls of sick right. consumerism. Right. So right. reading up about that, and these are, I won't say these are necessarily common sense kinds of things because they're not because, you know, too many people get in trouble behind buying things they don't need or can't usually afford. But right. 
this was interesting to read about strategies to reduce consumerism. Replacing fast purchasing with slow purchasing. That didn't happen. Yeah. So (laughs) in other words, instead of buying something on your credit card because you have the money to do it, instead of slow purchasing, which is researching your purchase, find and find the best, the best product for the money, actually figuring out if it's something that you need as opposed to something that you want, things like that. Here's an interesting point. Make the buying prep, make the buying process inconvenient. And the way this, the author of this list explains that is shopping is like a fun game. The system of consumerism is designed to be addictive, which is all a part of the trap. So if we want to ease up on our shopping habits, how do we make the process difficult? One approach that worked incredibly well for me, the author, is to adopt a mindful consumer mindset, which means acquiring items that only perform well, but are also ethical and eco-friendly. And I wouldn't necessarily say I'm the kind of type that would seek out something that specifically eco-friendly but i get the gist of what he's saying be specific in what kind of product you want look for something quality that meets your needs and then you make it if you stick to those guys if you give yourself boundaries and stick to a certain set of guidelines you're not liable right. to go get the first thing that you see which makes sense yeah yeah makes perfect sense another point he makes in his um, tips list is to declutter basically when you're moving house and you have to clean up things and you find all sorts of stuff that you forgot you ever had. And you're like, where the heck does it even come from? Hmm. Um, another point that he mentions is do the deathbed test. And this is how he explains this. Not to get too dark, but if you were hypothetically on your deathbed today and you were reflecting on your life, What would be your fondest memories? I bet your answers have little to do with the things you obtained and more to do with experiences you shared with others. The quality of our lives is generally generally measured by moments of, that was a good time, not that thing I had was awesome. So next time you feel yourself longing to buy things to feel better, do the deathbed test to give yourself instant perspective. I like that tip. Yeah. I like that tip, especially. I really did. Because, we, you know, when it comes down to it, you're like, and just like people always say, you can't take it with you. So you can buy the top of the line everything. If money was no limit, you can buy the top of the line everything. But once it's done, it's done. That what is you, true. What do you want? A bunch of stuff or a bunch of good memories? Yeah. And know. you know what? At the very least, when you croak, if you don't have a lot of stuff, that's less for your family to have to go through. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. So, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting um, way to address the commercialism, which is basically what drives something like the infomercial industry. Right. As it is. So, yeah. <clears throat> there we go. That's my take on infomercial infomercials and their ties to consumerism and materialism. Bless us all. <laughs> that was a deep dive that I did not know I needed. See? <laughs> but apparently I did. And it was absolutely free. Yes. And just to go back real quick, you have never lived until you have watched Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke 
and everyone in the movie sounds like a chipmunk. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, those movies. <laughs> yeah. That was that was really interesting. Yeah. And I kid you not, I got the uh I guess it was probably around nineteen ninety-nine ish or whatever. I got the Ronco food dehydrator. <laughs> I've made a ton of jerky in it. And at first it was the only one I had. And it would it would take, you know, two, three days to dehydrate it to jerky. I don't know what the commercial said that it would take, but it was a multiple day process. But you know what? It still works to this day. There you go. I have uh I have the the dehydrator I got from uh Bass Pro and then I bought extra trays for it. Actually, I bought a second one because extra trays, to get five extra trays was 70 bucks and to buy the dehydrator with five extra trays was 50. So I just oh. bought another dehydrator <laughs> and just have it all stacked in one thing. Weird. <laughs> and then when Heather's dad died, uh, his mom or her mom gave me uh, his dehydrator and he had extra trays. So I very seldom need to use that Ronco, but sometimes I'll just be doing something and have extra and I'm like, you know what? These other things are going to take a day or 12 hours, whatever. I'll just start the process on here and just give them a head start. But Interesting. Like I said, I I didn't buy too many things off of infomercials. The pet egg, I said, it sticks in my mind because it was actually a pretty decent product. Right. For what it was worth. It, didn't, it wasn't long lasting, but it did what it needed to do for as long as it could do it. So. Right. For what it was worth, it was it was a decent buy. But. A lot of other things I've seen, I just, I never felt real compelled to to buy them. But, and this actually wasn't necessarily an infomercial. It was just a, an extended commercial. It was a couple of minutes long. But it was one of the most memorable ones that I've ever had is the um, Hey Love R&B song collection. <laughs> awesome. Yes. You, you remember that commercial? I don't. Strangely oh enough. I'm going to have to find a link and, and, and set that up for folks. So it was actually a set of, when it first came out, it was two albums. Then it graduated to two CDs. But right. it was a compilation of old school slow jam R&B songs. And oh. the commercial was a big deal because it's dated. I mean, it's straight 80s. There's no question, but it's so dated. And the the, the catch line is it. From it was, uh, it was like a, a basement party and the guy brings the album and everybody's grooving to it and they love it. And, and the, the party's breaking up and uh, another party goer asks the guy, hey, can I borrow that? And the guy looks at him and he says, no, my brother, you've got to get your own. That was the catch line. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that was the, I will find a link and, and, and attach it and make sure we have it available for our listening friends because you have, you have to experience it. You have to. That's all there is. Yeah. That's, but it, it that's included, awesome. let's see, what, what classics did it include? Stay in my corner by the Dells. La 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 means I love you. The Delphonics. Um, let's see. Oh my. Hey There, Lonely Girl by Eddie Holman. Baby, I'm For Real by The Originals. And Have You Seen Her by The Shy Lights. That's just volume one. So there was some quality, there was some quality songs on that two album slash CD yeah, set. Yeah. 
But yeah, like I said, sure. the commercial is iconic, especially in the community, and it cannot be surpassed. 30-some years later, it cannot be surpassed. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to put it out there, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and really sort of the offspring of the infomercial are the like the one minute commercial for like flex seal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that's really just a infomercial that's just been shrunk down to normal commercial size because mm-hmm. he's he's an infomercial guy if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you, they do the exact same crap it's just boiled down to a one minute commercial and the stuff billy mays used to do same thing yep exactly the same thing and you know who i forgot about until i was in my research was tony robbins and yeah. those those financial infomercials he used to do, yeah. Like, wow, he, that was that was pretty scary. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. but yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting time in in television history. It, it still is. But when they first showed up on the scene, you couldn't tell those people nothing. They would sell you their own mother if they think it would work. <laughs> they yeah. really would. Yeah. They really would. Yeah. Oh boy, that is true. That's yeah. definitely interesting. Brought back a lot of memories that I didn't realize were perhaps fond memories of watching infomercials and you know making sort of fun of them. But you're staying over at your friend's house and you don't have cable and it's the only thing on, but you don't want to go to bed, <laughs> you know. So you're you know watch the infomercial. You too can get. This 20 CD timeline collection of the classics, the classical classics for $19.99 each. <laughs> right, right. But that's when CDs still cost $27 dollars a piece. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, those were those are marvelous times. The funny thing about CDs is when they first came out, remember they cost twice what a cassette did? Yeah. Yeah. But uh the companies that made that because the you know the film inside of the cassette was really kind of expensive to manufacture mm-hmm. so uh the companies made almost no money on a cassette whereas a cd the total cost to produce a cd is something like 15 cents at the time mm-hmm. and it caught you know a cassette was 10 bucks and it literally cost something like seven bucks to produce the cassette because of mm-hmm. all of the film in it so that's why the industry switched over to CD so fast. So remember, it was literally like our ninth grade year, there was no CDs. And by the time we graduated, the CD was like almost had completely taken over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just and about. That's why they swapped over so fast, because they could make so much more money from a CD than they could a cassette or a record. And then <clears throat> there was that little blip in recording history that we like to call laser discs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never quite understood the purpose of those at all. At yeah, all. they were giant DVDs. If you're a younger person, they were basically DVDs, the size of records. Yes. That was the most bizarre thing. I don't know that I knew anybody that had a laser disc player. I don't know that I knew anybody. Even I have now, a, I have a friend that has them now. He yeah. goes to estate sales and he buys them, <laughs> and he has several machines that actually work. And he says that the picture quality is just fantastic. But I hear they were ex- they were expensive for one thing. Yeah. So that's why they didn't quite catch on. So, but they kind of came and went. As far as you know, that piece of history is concerned, they were there and then they weren't. So. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
But yeah. hey. But so, yeah, there's that. But I could switch gears to something I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't yes. find this interesting, but I also find this interesting as well. In addition to, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever heard of a YouTube series called Hot Ones. Oh, yeah. Okay. With Sean Evans. Yes. So for listening friends, if you're not familiar with this particular YouTube channel, Hot Ones is a half hour talk show um, where the host, Sean Evans, has uh, very uh, insightful and thoughtful interviews with random celebrities across all all walks of uh, society while having them eat increasingly hot chicken wings. The premise sounds silly, but I guarantee you, if you sit down and watch one, you will be watching many of them. Yep. I only started watching them a few weeks ago, but I did manage to catch the episode with everyone's favorite scientist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he was quite composed on his episode, um, which I was very impressed with, but then it, it's it's him. So what can you expect? Right. But by the time, usually during the course of the episode, um, the host and the guests will eat 10 different chicken wings, each with a different kind of sauce, increasingly hotter and hotter and hotter. So they manage to get to the 10th wing. And the questions that the interviewer will ask get progressively more thought provoking. And it's interesting watching the guests try to navigate their answers when they're trying to keep their, you know, mouths from combusting. Right. But Mr. Tyson did pretty good with his. And so they got to the, the 10th wing and the host threw out a question about, and, and um, I can't say it verbatim, something about what's the meaning of life or some such thing. And this is the answer that Neil deGrasse Tyson came up with. And I just thought it was so eloquently put. I had to write it down. This is what he says. This isn't 100% verbatim, but it's not 90%. So forgive me if you heard something, if you saw the episode and heard something different. Here's what he says. Here's my thing. We, we have come to define significance as I'm special, everything else isn't. Religions, cultures, individuals, all thinking they're special, but the top four ingredients in life, in your body, the top four atoms in order, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen, those four atoms. Do you know what the top ingredients are in the universe? The top four chemically active atoms in the universe, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen. The host responds and says, I am the universe. Mr. Tyson comes back and says, yes. So upon learning that you're not special because you do not contain special ingredients is the same fact that includes the idea that while we live in this universe, the universe lives within us. We are special because we are the same. Man, he stole our gimmick. (laughs) That jerk. How how dare he word what we've been trying to say since December? Pretty much. That's why I had to read it. (laughs) That's why I had to read it. And he managed to sound far more eloquent than I just did after eating 10 chicken wings of increasing hotness. Yeah, because like the last one is generally like, you know, this is a special blend of 
Carolina Reaper, Ghost Peppers, and just to lighten the mood a little bit of Jalapeno. Correct. <laughs> it's and then it's we, 4 billion Scoville units. And then we put an extra dab on top of it. <laughs> yeah. So he managed to do all that. He wiped his hands, wiped his mouth. He said, ooh, that's hot. And then he, he made that little mini speech. I was in awe. So Yeah, wow. I made sure I listened to it and, and got it all of it down as close to verbatim as I could. So I wanted to share that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And listening friends, I don't know how this will come out in editing, but if you've ever wondered what a great name sounds like when he's barking at a cat on TV, if you're hearing that in the background, that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a healthy boy though. He's a healthy boy. <laughs> I'm not mad at him. <laughs> But then I don't live with them, so. Uh, you know, fortunately, he's cute. Yeah, they always get away with that, though. Yeah, they really he, do. He, that makes up for a lot in his case. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, you have any any final thoughts or any 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 completely uh, switch directional things that you'd like to? No, I'm glad you, I'm glad you decided to do this. That was very interesting. I I didn't know I needed to hear it and it was strangely brought back a lot of you know memories it over did. the lifetime. I, I did, did not expect that to happen. So thank you. You're welcome. And hosting friends, I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Um every now and then we'll switch it up on you. So stay tuned. This might happen again sooner than you think. That's mm-hmm. right. Who knows? Who knows? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and tell the listening friends, thanks for listening. We love you. Bye. Bye. Till next time. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com, slash Kenyatta dash jack dash save dash the dash world or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.